Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. The best athletes don't just play the game, they change it. When it comes to investing, GameBridge is doing the same. Their online platform does things differently because it's designed to put you in charge of growing your own savings. It's intuitive, it's easy, and best of all, it's on your terms. No wonder GameBridge has earned the trust of 40% repeat customers. It's a better way to invest because it's investing your way. Get started today with as little as $1,000 at GameBridge.io. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Pirelli tires. Go to TireRack.com slash sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. This is the best of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. Let's bring in John Morosi. He's back in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan, where used to be the undefeated Michigan Wolverines resided. Now they have lost to Michigan State. And I actually want to start with that for you, John Morosi. What is the vibe in the city of Ann Arbor? My wife's alma mater up there. And she was so mad about losing to Michigan State because she hates Michigan State almost as much or more than she st- hates Ohio State. Uh, what was uh, what's the vibe up there? Well, Clay, a couple things about that. I, I, I've always thought that certainly beating Ohio State is the is the most important thing for Michigan to do each year. But not losing to Michigan State is almost as important because exa- well said. Uh, in this in, because in this great state, you've got so many people. Uh, that are, that have families and, and work environments that have both Wolverines and Spartans. So you hear a lot more about it uh, if your team loses in that situation than against Ohio State. So Well, she said uh, certainly- also, like, if you beat Ohio State, you feel like you can brag. All that comes out of the Michigan State game is they brag if you lose because Michigan Correct. people are not walking around talking trash about beating Michigan State, but they have to hear it. So it's almost – the, at least she feels like the Michigan-Ohio State game is an even risk-reward, right? Both sides are really happy right. if they win, whereas Michigan's just happy if they don't lose to Michigan State. Very well said, and I believe now it's, I think, seven times in ten years the Spartans have been victorious in that game. So, uh, really, the, the rivalry games for Michigan have, uh, have have been flipped upside down from where they were in the early part of the uh, actually, the later part of the 1990s, certainly when uh, when it was still in the John Cooper era there in uh, Columbus. But I, I think Clay that some some really shaky 
quarterback play and inability to, to really convert in the red zone came back to haunt them. They were okay for the first number of games of the season, but, but really it caught up with them there against the Spartans. So they've got to address it because um, Indiana's, uh, I think, a scary team to play in Bloomington on Saturday. So it's coming up real quickly for the, uh, for the Wolverines to try to find a way to get back um, on the right side of the wind column there. But, but right now I think there's a lot, of, a lot of concern and a lot of thought about where the next steps are for this team because that was a pretty tenuous, unbeaten record to begin with. And now I think some real questions about just how good this team actually is. We're talking to John Morosi. You can follow him on Twitter at J-O-N Morosi, M-O-R-O-S-I. He joins us every single, single Thursday. He's on even earlier than normal, so thanks for getting up early with us. Let me ask you this now. Let's go into your one of your many areas of expertise, and that is, of course, what's going on in uh, the Major League Baseball playoffs, the Indians. They go up 2-0, and then they lose three in a row. Brutal. Brutal for Indian fans who thought maybe this was their year after they lost Game 7 last year to the Cubs. Is this one almost, I don't want to say it's more painful, but at least you're losing Game 7 in the World Series. Here, you go up 2-0 in a division, you know, in a division series, feel pretty good about your chances to advance to the ALCS, and instead collapse, how should Indian fans feel? Well, Clay, let's look at it this way. Terry Francona, in my estimation, is a Hall of Fame manager. And as Matt Vaskirjian said on the FS1 broadcast last night, he is now the first manager ever to lose three consecutive potential clinching games in back-to-back years. Think about Ouch. that. So no, you go 3-1 up against the Cubs, you lose three in a row. You go 2-0 up against the Yankees and lose three in a row. It really, to me, Clay, it's, it's stunning is the word. Stunning. Because when I last saw the Indians in person, it was September. I was there at the – still not at the end of that amazing 22-game winning streak. And, and so I witnessed that firsthand, and I thought to myself, well, I'm coming back here for the playoffs. This, this team is – is unbeatable. They've got a, an even better rotation than last year. They've got now Edwin Encarnacion, who they didn't have last season. But, of course, uh, Kluber struggled in this series, and Encarnacion was hurt. And uh, I think that that's not the entire reason why, but I think that's a big part of it. And the Yankees played exceptionally well. and That, that was a really uh, impressive dis- display by them. And really, you take out Joe Girardi's gaffe in, in Game 2, and the Yankees were the better team in four out of the five games. So it, it's a really uh, – I think you have to give credit to the Yankees. Um, but on the Indian side, it is rather stunning based on the way the regular season ended. And it's got to be a very bitter defeat. This is a team that thought for all the world they were going to get back to the World Series this year, and it's clearly not happening now. And uh, And you have to wonder – Looking at the pitching, how much longer will things be lined up as perfectly as they were this year? Um, it really is, a, uh, I think, a defeat that's going to smart for the people of, uh, of Cleveland and Ohio for a very long time because this was probably an, an even better team than the one that almost won the World Series last year. Okay, so the Yankees are in the ALCS, I believe, for the first time since 2012. What does it mean for Major League Baseball for the Yankees to be back? Well, I saw the comment on Twitter last night. I, I wish I remembered who, who it was that said it. But uh, the quote was, baseball is more fun when the Yankees are good. And um, I, I agree with that. And, again, that was a very well-said tweet last night, and I think it was, it's very apt. 
I know that there may be some uh, some Yankee haters, if you will, that that will disagree with me on that. But I think that when they are when they have this level of, of presence, uh, and we can't call them a super team yet, they have not won the World Series since 2009. But I have I have no doubt that when you've got elite teams, whether it's the Patriots in football, whether it's the Cavs or, the, or now of course the Warriors in basketball in the Penguins in the NHL, it, it just it stimulates a lot of debate about who the great challengers are. And again, we're a long way from saying the Yankees are back to being the preeminent team in the league, but they are certainly a preeminent team. And that creates a lot of good dynamics, I think, certainly on the, on the media rights and the media broadcast ratings, we understand that. But I, I think on a larger level, it, it stimulates discussion in a, in a really interesting way. And when Yankee Stadium is a place that, that is vaunted and feared in October, I think it really becomes a, a really strong conversation topic for all of us around the game. We're talking to John Morosi. Go follow him on Twitter at John Morosi. He's involved, obviously, in covering so much in the world of sports, primarily baseball, but also the hockey season. Uh, he gets involved as well. Also a huge Michigan Wolverine fan, as you heard as we started this conversation. By the way, Sirius XM Channel 218, XM Channel 202, starting on Monday. We're about to hop off there for people who are listening on satellite radio. File those away. 218 on Sirius, 202 on XM. Uh, all right, John, when you look at the American League, when you look at the Houston Astros versus the Yankees, who should be favored now in this series in your mind? Houston, to me, Clay is still the better all-around team. I think you look at their athleticism, the way they can score runs so many different ways, um, their rotation, and now they have Dallas Keuchel and Justin Verlander lined up. Um, now, their bullpen, in, in, in the case of Houston, is not as deep as the Yankees. The Yankees have, I think, one of the deeper bullpens we've ever seen at this time of year, and Chapman is back. I think that was a, one of the more important things that happened last night. If you're watching that game, you're looking for signs of, of even the command issues that, that haunted Chapman in Game 7 of the World Series in the very same ballpark last year. That did not happen. He was just absolutely locked in. The, I thought the command of his breaking ball was impeccable. The fastball velocity was there up above 100 miles an hour as usual. So that was one of the more important developments that I thought we saw. And and it, it to me, when you've got Chapman throwing that way, Clay, it really takes the pressure off the pitching staff. They feel like they only have to be great for five innings, maybe six, six is a bonus. But when you've got Robertson and, and Canely and Chapman all lined up, it's just a really formidable club. And Batances still, when he's in the zone, is as good as anybody. So I wasn't really impressed by the Yankee bullpen. But to me, all around, 1 through 25, I had a chance to cover the Astros and, and Red Sox in the first round. The athleticism they have, they hit good pitching. Alex Bregman homered twice off a sale in that series, which was a huge statement on his part. Jose Altuve, a three-homer game. Uh, you can't say much more than, than what they did. Just the production of that team was, was outstanding. Carlos Correa really has a sense of the big moment. So I think the overall talent is on Houston's side, Clay, but uh, I think the bullpen advantage belongs to the Yankees. I watched game four, a decent amount of it, between the Cubs and the Nats last night. I think it's a pretty fascinating series, even though I'm not a hardcore baseball guy. 
Strasburg suddenly comes back in and decides to pitch after the craziness of Dusty Baker saying he was sick. What do you know about that story, and how did it end up with him taking the ball and going to the mound? Clay, the fact that Strasburg pitched yesterday was initiated by Steven Strasburg. He woke up, and I think he realized two things. Number one, he felt better than before, and and that is a matter of public record. Mike Rizzo, the Nationals GM, talked about how they changed up his medication, and he just simply woke up feeling better. Number two is he had to realize, Clay, had to, the scorn that was that – was uh, being heaped on him from multiple corners yesterday, uh, most notably uh, those of us in the media, but I'm sure some fans as well. He has now a seven-year, $175 million contract. The, the approximate reason for why he did not pitch in the 2012 playoffs to preserve his arm was no longer a concern because he's already got a seven-year deal. Um, if, if the Nationals were comfortable with him pitching, that was the game that he had to pitch. And the remarkable thing, Clay, is you think about how he pitched, think about how, how narrowly he almost did not pitch at all. And, and, and we, we would have missed out on this amazing outing and a remarkable story for Steven Strasburg that really changes the entire narrative of his career, where he's had so many critics that say, well, he doesn't want to be on the mound for the big games and you can't trust him. Um, he doesn't have that competitive makeup. Well, he, he, he really parried all of those criticisms with a single game over a couple hours yesterday. And really, Clay, in my estimation, he should never have to listen to criticism of that type ever again. What happens in Game 5? I I think now the Nationals win. I think that they've got momentum. And, And I think that's more of a factor, Clay, when there's no off day in between when when you have to because of the postponement of, of game four one day later and now they're playing tonight so there's no there's no time for the for the losing team to pause and regroup they all had to get on a plane yesterday and fly to our nation's capital and get ready for this game today i i like the nationals i like the nationals in this game i, I know it's prime time so that, so it'll be under the lights but the Nationals now, their pitching lines up a little bit better. Their bullpen, they've got Max Scherzer available. There's a lot a lot of things going on right now with the Nationals that I think point things in their favor, not the least of which is that they really have not even gotten going offensively in this series. Bryce Harper has struggled. Zimmerman has struggled. Uh, it was Michael A. Taylor last night who went over 2 with two strikeouts in the division series last year, was a non-factor, last man on the roster. Last night, Clay, he was not the last man on the roster with that grand slam there. Didn't really seal the game for the Nationals. How ecstatic does Major League Baseball have to be to get the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Houston Astros, that's three of the four biggest markets in America, and then you're playing between now the Cubs, who are the third biggest market in America, right? So you would literally, if the Cubs win game five, you would have the four biggest markets in America all advancing to the NLCS and the ALCS. Or I believe the D.C. area is the seventh biggest, so you really can't possibly lose. I mean, Major League Baseball and the television partners have to be ecstatic over the way this thing has gone. Agree, Clay. And it's great markets and great storylines. There's a great storyline about the way that uh, so many of these teams that are still involved the Nationals being one of them, that they have not, uh, we have not had a Washington D.C. based team even win a playoff series, much less the World Series since 1924. 
The Astros have never won it, so that's a great storyline. And then the Dodgers haven't won it since 1988, so they've had a generation wait. Clayton Kershaw has never pitched in the World Series before, so that's another great story there as well. So to me, Clay, there's a lot of really great storylines in addition to the sheer market size of those teams that are involved. So the game's in a very good place. I know there's a lot of thought back and forth about pace of play and concerns there. If you are a baseball fan, if you love the game, these playoffs are giving you plenty of reasons to be very excited about your favorite sport if it's baseball. And if your favorite sport's not baseball, you've got a lot of really good, I think, casual 30,000-foot stories, whether it's Kershaw, whether it's Justin Verlander finally tracing a World Series ring uh, with the Astros now in his outing in, in Game 4 out of the bullpen, which is the first ever relief outing of his life, he told me, in a game that mattered. That includes high school. So there's just a lot going on there that I think is, is a really compelling storyline in so many different ways. So I, I do think, Clay, that you're right, that uh, – the broadcast partners are and ought to be rather pleased. We're talking to John Morosi. John, who do you think the Dodgers should want? If you're a Dodger fan and you're watching Game 5 tonight to get ready for the NLCS, Cubs, Nats, who do the Dodgers match up better with? Great question. I think that they, they are a team that probably wants to avoid – the lefty starters. I, I think because left-handed hitting is such an important part of their club. So that would mean that w- with the Cubs, Lester and Quintana, and then with the Nationals, uh, predominantly you're talking about Gio Gonzalez. So uh, they would face more righties if they, if they got the Nationals. But I think the Nationals right now are, are, are the better team, 1 through 25. So, I, I, and of course, the Cubs, they, they just lost that team in the NLCS last year. Very familiar with them, and of course they beat the Nationals last year in the uh, in the division series. So uh, I, I think they they may, based on last year's experience, feel better playing against the Nationals because of course they beat them and they lost to the Cubs. So I, I would say that overrides the, the pitching concern that I mentioned about the lefties. Outstanding stuff. We'll talk to you next week and see how this thing is breaking. Thanks for joining us early in the morning, John Morosi. My pleasure, Clay. Uh, love, love catching up, even if it's about the Wolverines playing poorly, which uh, <laughs> they must now address and try to turn around here on Saturday afternoon. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Yesterday, I guess it was Wednesday now, which was yesterday. It's hard to keep up with days, I'm going to be honest with you. This early in the morning, I got no idea what day it is. Uh, yesterday, which was Wednesday, I got tipped off, or actually, maybe I got tipped off Tuesday. I can't even remember. Anyway, we got a bunch of people who are OutKick listeners all over the country that work at ESPN. And on Tuesday, ESPN had a secret meeting with all of their L.A. employees. And I say secret because it wasn't public. It's not like it was announced that John Skipper was addressing everybody. He walks in. There's roughly 120 people there. Many of them are OutKick fans. And ESPN is losing its mind because the president of ESPN, this guy John Skipper, attacked me by name in front of all the L.A. employees. He said, Clay Travis is someone who's out to get us. He's spreading misinformation, and he's devoted to destroying ESPN. He also took shots at Jason Whitlock, my buddy. You've heard him on the show a lot. He attacked Fox News and Tucker Carlson. 
And then he went even further, which is crazy. He said that me, Jason Whitlock, Rupert Murdoch, seriously, the owner of all of Fox, uh, Tucker Carlson, and um, Donald Trump, the president of the United States, were all united in a right-wing conspiracy designed to bring down ESPN. So he thinks that me, Rupert Murdoch, Donald Trump, Tucker Carlson, Jason Whitlock, we're all hopping on conference calls and we're all plotting the destruction of ESPN as part of a vast right-wing conspiracy. He's gone crazy. He's now channeling Hillary Clinton. He told all his employees this in a meeting, and then those same employees who were all OutKick fans immediately passed along what he said in L.A. to all of his crew. And for the record, I don't know that you guys need to hear this from me, but I don't make any money from Fox. I've said this on the show before. I am a iHeartRadio employee. Fox Sports Radio does not pay me on the Fox Sports side. I receive $0 from Fox News. I receive $0 from 21st Century Fox. I make about 80% of my income entirely independent through OutKick. And then about 20% of my income from iHeart for doing this show. So whether you love me or hate me, Every single day, when I sit down in front of my computer screen to write, when I sit down in front of this mic to talk, or when I sit down in front of Periscope, Facebook, or for TV, I am saying exactly what I think, and nobody else is trying to tell me what to say. In fact, I think if you talk to every boss I've ever had, they would say, yeah, we tried to talk to Clay and get him to tone it down sometimes, and it just doesn't work, because he's going to say whatever he wants to say. And in fact, that's why I turned down a television show at FS1 to keep doing exactly what I do because I'm not willing to sell out in exchange for money. Let's bring in the crew. Jason Martin, can you believe that ESPN's president has so lost it? The ESPN PR team listening to the show right now all over the country, they are just rattled because they're counting the number of times I'm saying boobs. Now their own president is addressing me in front of their LA employee meetings, like making up strange conspiracy theories. This guy's lost his mind as the business of ESPN collapses around him. Reading your piece yesterday at Outkick.com and also hearing what you just said as you kind of laid it out quickly, I keep thinking to myself, is this some kind of joke? Like, this is the kind of thing that you would get them say, yeah, it's a right-wing conspiracy, right? It's Jason Whitlock and Donald Trump and Clay Travis and Tucker Carlson. They're all out to get us and blah, blah, blah. All this We're all kind conspiring. Of deal. Or is it just that you're running a company and you're idiots? You're replacing an Asian guy named Robert Lee and I break the story, and I write about it. You suspend Linda Cohn for saying that you're too political. In this same meeting, he got up and said he watches ESPN all day, and there's never any political bent. Yesterday, we played Michelle Beadle telling white men to shut up and listen. We played Michael Wilbon saying that NFL players basically are plantation slaves and that Jerry Jones is a racist, right, owning the Dallas Cowboys in the way that he's behaving. And we had Jamel Hill calling the president a white supremacist. Those are just three of the most prominent people at ESPN all doing that. How can you say with a straight face you watch their programming and don't see a political lean? Only way that you don't see a political lean is because you don't notice your own politics. You don't notice your and, own bias. Yeah, you don't, you don't notice that. That feels like normalcy to you. That's why Fox News always 
even back when I didn't believe it was nearly as far right as I do now, I don't necessarily, like I never necessarily pointed it out the same way because I would sometimes believe in the conservative side and I would agree with it on that side. But on the ESPN side, this sounded like an SNL skit of Alex Jones done from the left. Like that's how ridiculous the whole idea of there being a conspiracy theory. It's like I don't think, look, I know he tweets a lot and does some crazy stuff. But I don't think the president has time to negotiate with three other people in the media to try and take down a sports network. Like, Isn't that, that cr- doesn't I mean, make any sense. It's a crazy idea, right? I mean, yeah, ESPN, it's, it's absurd. their president is losing his mind. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Last night, Donald Trump was on with Sean Hannity, and he was asked specifically about Colin Kaepernick, and he said this. I watched Colin Kaepernick, and I thought it was terrible. And then it got bigger and bigger and started mushrooming. And frankly, the NFL should have suspended him for one game, and he would have never done it again. They could have then suspended him for two games, and they could have suspended him if he did it a third time for the season, and you would never have had a problem. But I will tell you, you cannot disrespect our country, our flag, our anthem. You cannot do that. All right, that's Donald Trump staying consistent. I actually agree with him on everything that he said about Colin Kaepernick. And I do think it's interesting that no one has criticized the NBA, which has a rule mandating players stand for the national anthem. And one of you guys can research this to confirm it. But I believe that was yesterday I was giving them credit for being forward thinking. And several of you responded and said that the NBA's stand for the anthem policy was a function of, do you remember Chris Jackson, a.k.a. Mahmoud, Abdul Raouf, that he started a protest against the National Anthem back in the day, back in the 90s, I believe it would have been. And then there was a response where the NBA said, we're not going to have this happen again and have our players' patriotism questioned and create this controversy. And they established the rule in the NBA that you need to stand for the National Anthem. I believe that's true. Why do I mention that? Because no one is talking about the NBA players not having the ability to come out and be vocal about their political opinions. And why are people not saying that? Because one, NBA players have been very vocal about their political opinions. And two, they don't have to do it during the national anthem. And so I think the NBA has gotten it right, but I think they got it right in response to their own version of the Colin Kaepernick issue, which was with Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. Well, one of you research that and see whether or not it is true. Now, Here's my other thing. Given that I am the King Solomon of the internet, that I make everything better, that I can solve any problem, the NFL kicks off again tonight with week six between the Carolina Panthers and the Philadelphia Eagles. Fantastic game. Cannot wait to watch. It's rare there's a Thursday night game where I'm like, you know what, I really want to see what happens. Is Carson Wentz for real? We think probably that the Panthers are for real, that they're back to their 2015 form after a disastrous 2016 for Cam Newton. I don't know what's changed, but the past couple of weeks, Cam has played really, really well. So, are the Eagles for real? They haven't played a very tough schedule. Can the Panthers keep up their momentum? One of these teams is going to become 5-1. and one. If the Eagles go to 5-1, and one, they have a massive early lead in the NFC East. If the Panthers go to 5-1, and one, look, they got one of the toughest divisions in sports, one of the, the best, I believe, quarterback division in the NFL is the NFC South with Cam in, in Carolina, with Jameis down in Tampa Bay, 
with Drew Brees in New Orleans and with Matt Ryan in Atlanta. I believe that's the best four quarterbacks in any division in the NFL. So what's going to happen in that game? Will there be any kind of protest on Thursday night as this process continues to play itself out? But since I'm the King Solomon of the internet, since I'm the King of Tolerance, since I sit on the Iron Throne of Inclusion, I was sitting around thinking, could we solve this? The NFL released a statement with the NFLPA saying, I think there has now become consensus. And I got to give Trump some credit for this. I think there has now become some consensus that it's awful business for the NFL to be having people protest during the national anthem. Moreover, I think the vast majority of you out there listening, regardless of your political leanings, are just so tired of politics being intermixed with sports that you want to go back, and the NFL said this in their own statement, that there's a consensus among players, executives, owners, that the NFL needs to get back to doing what they do, which is playing sports, not getting involved in politics. The line that I would go to and that I have gone to so often, it has been attributed to Michael Jordan, is Republicans buy sneakers too. I don't understand why people in the entertainment industry would decide to only appeal to one side of the political equation. And by the way, I understand that when you're like Fox News or you're MSNBC or you're in the media and you have to find your niche, right? What I think we appeal to, whether people believe it or not, I think this show and the reason why we have become so dominant is we appeal to the vast majority of people who are reasonable in this country. I think there are about 15% of the people that are far left and all of them work at ESPN. And I think there are about 15% of the population that are far right. That leaves 70% of us somewhere in the middle, what I would call the reasonable middle in America, where you're not overtly partisan one way or the other. You have some right opinions, some left opinions. You're somewhere around me, right? You think that people should stand for the national anthem. You, uh, you, know, you like beer. You like girls, right? That's my, that's my wheelhouse. Yeah, like the ESPNs of the world are like, oh, it's so offensive to put a girl in a bikini and drink a beer. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? I like bikinis. I like beers. And I like football. That's why I said I'm a First Amendment and boobs kind of guy, right? Like I'm not going to complain about that. CNN got all triggered when I went on and said it. It's amazing to me that we have entered into a place in a modern-day American society where the national anthem has become the most controversial song in America. I'm going to keep talking to my base, and my base loves boobs, they love beer, and they like football. That's our crew, right? That's the OutKick crew in general. Doesn't matter what race you are, doesn't matter what religion you are, doesn't matter what, uh, what, how you voted, I'm talking to guys out there, and they like boobs, they like girls, and they like football, and they like beer. That's our wheelhouse, all right? That's who we're going to talk to every single day on this show. That's the vast majority of the American backbone across all 50 states, satellite radio, everything else. The fact that you have to apologize for liking those things now, I think is evidence of how crazy America has gone. So, having said that, I believe that I am in the reasonable middle. I think I'm good at solving problems. I think my crew is also pretty good at solving problems. How can the NFL solve this? My solution, which I don't think is a perfect solution, but I think it's a pretty good one that players would have to agree is not a bad compromise and that I think owners could deal with. I don't know whether President Trump would agree with this, 877-996-6369. He can call in since we're part of a vast right-wing conspiracy. Same thing with my buddy Rupert Murdoch. 
Same thing with Tucker Carlson, anybody at Fox News, Jason Whitlock, if he's up early on the West Coast. Those guys can call in and let me know what they think because I don't want to speak out of tune given that ESPN's president has gone out and said we're part of a vast right-wing conspiracy trying to destroy that network. But I think if you forced everybody who comes out of the tunnel to stand for the national anthem, i.e., if you are on the field, you are not allowed to kneel without facing substantial penalties that could include being suspended for games because you are violating the rules of your employer. If you feel the need to protest, you do not have to run out of the tunnel until after the national anthem is over. That way, I think this protest would die very quickly because I think the only reason these guys are doing it is so television will pay attention to them. If you're in the tunnel and you're not on the field and you're not directly kneeling during the national anthem, then I think people will not notice you. Now, I also don't have a problem if the NFL wants to play hardball here and says, you know what, you have an obligation. You're making millions of dollars as a result of this country's uh, uh, love and protection of you. The least you can do is stand for the national anthem. And I will mention, by the way, I haven't seen anybody kneeling in the NHL. A large percentage of the people who play in the NHL aren't American, yet they are willing to stand for our national anthem. And I'm not even going to get into all the knuckleheads. I haven't spent that much time on this, but how about the irony of people not standing for the national anthem in overseas games in London? We went to war with England to gain our independence, and these knucklehead players, many of them, stood for the British national anthem and kneeled for the American national anthem overseas. Does the Boston Tea Party mean nothing to you? Does fighting for American independence mean nothing? Do you not remember the Revolutionary War? How in the world can these guys be such idiots that they stood for the British National Anthem, a country we literally fought for our independence, and they kneeled for the American National Anthem overseas? Is the irony meter not exploding in their heads? Does the hypocrisy not rain down upon them again look at all these NHL guys many of whom are born in overseas countries they understand the freedoms that we have they don't take it for granted they're willing to respect our national anthem and many of them are not even citizens it's crazy to me what do you think of my compromise stand if you're on the field if you have a legitimate issue you stay in the locker room you can come out after the anthem is over Jason Martin solution or bad solution I mean, I think that that is somewhat of a solution, and that goes back. I did the research that you requested on the NBA situation. Did they change it after Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf? No. Was that a, okay? So that's not no. Accurate. That was, he he he. It was enforced on him, but it was a rule that dated back long before him. It had been decades before, uh, basically instituted to try and keep players from stretching and shooting during the national anthem. Is how it was originally done. But Adam Silver has said over the last few weeks, and David Stern also said to he said this to Abdul Rauf right before they ended up suspending him. He said, "Look, you don't have to come out. You could stay in the locker room. But if you come out with the team, given our rule, we can't have selective enforcement. You're going to have to stand." He yes. said no, and so we suspended him. So that would back up your idea there. I, I continue. So there's to precedent. It. So let's stop yeah, right there. There's is. good precedent already having existed in major American sports that if you don't come out and stand for the national anthem, 
in the NBA, they have suspended players for it. They have also suggested, hey, you're welcome to stay in the locker room and not draw attention to yourself and come out later. I don't think TV networks are going to aggressively cover guys who stay in the tunnel and come out after the national anthem is over. So I think that's a potential solution that would allow players to not feel like they are being forced to embrace patriotism, although stop being an idiot, right? Like the fact that you're not willing to stand for 45 seconds for playing the national anthem is to me absurd. But if that's such a big deal to you, you can stay in the locker room and everybody else who's on the field, which will be 95% or more, 98%, eventually just about everybody, because it's going to feel weird standing in the locker room by yourself. I guarantee you, without the cameras around, these guys are going to be like, man, this kind of feels weird. You know, I'm just kind of standing in the locker room by myself. I'm not running out with my teammates. Why do I look so ridiculous by doing this? I think that's what would end up happening. So is that a solution that you think the players and the owners and the sponsors could all get behind? I think it's possible. Um, you know, my, my other solution, and you've mentioned this before too, but the one that I, I just still don't see the purpose in why the anthem needs to exist because it creates the, problems. Uh, okay, that all, that, all that's true. But if they make that decision now, then effectively that's going to make things yeah. worse, I think. You're right. So, You're right because so it's kowtowing. Yeah, it's kowtowing to protesters. You can't now say, oh, we're not going to play the national anthem before the whole teams come out. Sorry, they can't now say – we will play the national anthem, but the players will not be on the field because that's going to be a total win for the players, right, to me. And they can't say, oh, we're going to take away the national anthem totally because then that's a total disaster. So I'm trying to be the King Solomon of the internet here and find a workable compromise. And to me, it's guys not running out onto the field. They can protest privately inside the locker room, do whatever they want, and then when they're on the field, if you come out, you are obligated to stand or you face suspension, just like the so, NBA yeah. did. So, yeah, that would back up the NBA rule. My question is, and I think we're about to find out the answer to this, when you talk about the athletes that are seen the most, that are visible the most, that we recognize their faces, with the exception of the few people like a Tom Brady that we do recognize, because they're wearing helmets all the time, we don't know a lot of these football players, but in the NBA – we know a lot of these guys. There have already been some silent protests. There have been some people that are already talking. I feel like the NBA players are going to try something because I don't know that they're going to try and wield the authority, but they might have the authority to try and dare Adam Silver or dare the NBA to suspend a LeBron, a Kyrie, a Steph Curry, some of these bigger-name players that you need in the NBA because it's such a star-driven league. I'm not sure that we're done here. I'm not sure that maybe, the NBA not. is not about to make this vastly worse. Well, but the pro- the difference is the NBA is a is a pimple on the ass when it comes to actual attention. Other than the NBA playoffs, they don't get anybody watching their games. I mean, that's just the truth. I mean, like the NBA, if you're a hardcore NBA regular season fan, God bless you. But the NFL dwarfs the NBA and so I think it'll be bad for NBA business I think that's why they put in the rule to stand for the national anthem I think that's why David Stern put in the rule you have to have a dress code before games he's trying to appeal to the corporate uh, arena out there he's trying to appeal you know who play who pays the salary by and large for a vastly majority black league in both the NFL and the NBA white people and so what David Stern tried to do was limit the disconnect between young black players 
and predominantly white older people who are paying their salaries, either through sponsorships or through courtside seats. Look at who sits right by the the, the, the court in the NBA watching watch games. It's typically rich white dudes, right? That's who shows up on average for NBA games. That's who's paying the salary of NBA players. So you have this constant conflict, which has, I think, gotten illuminated in the NBA between and the and certainly the NFL this year, but it came first in the NBA between a majority white audience, which pays the salary of a majority white, I'm sorry, a majority black league, and so that's why politics a bad move here, because the player politics are frequently different than the fan politics, and the challenge is so long as nobody really gets involved in politics, we can just enjoy the games. You can go watch a basketball game. Again, I come back to Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was totally apolitical, and everybody loved him because he never came out and said, hey, I'm voting for X, not that it, not during his career anyway. And as a result, Michael Jordan was and is as beloved by Republicans as he was by Democrats. That's the smart way to be if you're a business person. And so what the owners have found themselves having to do, and I think Jerry Jones, to his credit, has tried to, to manage this as well, is they have found themselves trying to placate a huge percentage of their fan base. Uh, remember, this is a stat that's pretty crazy. Ratings in Dallas-Fort Worth have dropped 17% this year for Cowboy games. That's a majority conservative audience. That's Trump territory. Dallas Cowboy fans voted for Donald Trump. And so ratings are down 17%, and Jerry Jones is looking at it and saying, man, this has to be anthem controversy related. Because we got a really good quarterback in Dak Prescott. We got a great running back in Zeke Elliott. We're coming off an incredible season. Why would our ratings be down when we've had so many entertaining games? Why would less people be watching us play Aaron Rodgers and the Packers? I think that Jerry Jones is looking at the numbers and saying, hey, we're alienating some of our base. And so that's what he's trying to figure out with the anthem. And so to me, that's a solution that makes sense. Let's go to L.A. You guys are in the liberal bastion of America, Los Angeles. The Travis Compromises, we'll call it. You have to stand if you're on the field. You come out for the national anthem, you are obligated to stand. If you kneel, you'll be uh, fined substantially and suspended from games. If you want to protest the anthem, you don't come out at all. Solution or not solution? Uh, Not bad. I kind of think it might be better so that there's no division among teammates like what we saw with the Pittsburgh Steelers. What if all the players stay in the locker room? Yeah, I think that's during, I, that's that, kind of what Jason Martin suggested. Yeah, they, I think that's seen as a win for if they had made that rule before the protest started. I think it's fine. That's what happens in college football. That's how college football has avoided the anthem controversy. Is they have long played the national anthem with the bands on the field. They have long played, and a lot of schools still do a prayer, uh, the non-denominational prayer before games. The players are not out for yeah. that either. Um, but move I it think up, that, just move it up. Because remember, yeah, the, the Raiders wanted would, to do that, and the NFL wouldn't allow them to do that because yeah, of the I timing think the problem of the coin is toss. Now, yeah. that's gonna that's gonna alienate conservatives because they're gonna say, "Wait, all the players used to come out and stand for the national anthem. Then Colin Kaepernick takes a knee, and now none of the players come out and show respect for the national anthem." But that's better than removing it from the sporting events. Well, but they're not gonna remove it. Well, I know that, but so I'm I'm saying that I don't think that's a compromise that would work. I think that would make things worse. Uh, and by the way, really quick, you mentioned the NHL earlier. 
JT Brown of the Tampa Bay Lightning got death threats two days ago after raising his fist during the national anthem. Well, I, this whole got death threats thing is overrated to me. I get death threats every day. Like, if you are on social media and you are active for anything, like, I think these things should be, should be, uh, should be punished. I think you should be charged with a crime if you make a death threat on social media. So let me be clear about that. One reason we moved to the house that we're in now is I think I've told this story on the on the show before, is because when I was traveling to L.A. every weekend to do television with Fox Sports, we had multiple people tweet my wife Google images of our old house and say, we know when your husband is in L.A. and you're home with the kids by yourself. All right? To me, if you send a, a tweet like that out, you should go to jail. You should be prosecuted with a crime for uh, making a threat, and you should go to jail and you should have to serve time. So I'm not a guy who is out there saying like death threats are okay or in any way acceptable, but they happen so frequently that every time somebody does anything, they're like, oh, I got death threats for it. I'm like, yeah, welcome to my life. I talk on the radio for three hours every day. There's not a week that's gone by for the last six or seven years that somebody hasn't come onto my, either my Twitter feed or my Facebook feed and said, if I ever see you out, I'm going to beat you up. I'm going to kill you, like you and your family. Like That happens all the time. So anytime an athlete does something and it's like a huge story, people are like, oh my God, he got death threats. Yeah, no kidding. That's what happens when you're prominent in this universe because they've done a bad job, Twitter, Facebook, all of social media, of actually teaching people, hey, that's a crime. If you do it, we're going to charge you with that crime and you may go to jail. I think they need to make examples of people. I really do. So when that happens, I think they should do a rigorous uh, investigation to their credit I think this happened, and it's going on right now, in the state of Nebraska over that official who called the UNC-Kentucky game. I believe they are going to charge several Kentucky fans with making death threats for that official. And I think that's fair. I think you need to make an example of people and say what is acceptable and unacceptable. You can agree or disagree with a lot of opinions, but when you make the next step and say, hey, I'm going to charge you with do all this craziness, they need to go ahead and charge you with a crime. I'm a First Amendment absolutist but you don't have a right to threaten to kill somebody in this country. Right? So I think that should happen. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. The best athletes don't just play the game, they change it. When it comes to investing, GameBridge is doing the same. Their online platform does things differently because it's designed to put you in charge of growing your own savings. It's intuitive, it's easy, and best of all, it's on your terms. No wonder GameBridge has earned the trust of 40% repeat customers. It's a better way to invest because it's investing your way. Get started today with as little as $1,000 at GameBridge.io. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. 
The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Now playing only in theaters. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now.